So I want to talk about the Jing Qi Shen conversion um, that you hear about all the time in alchemical uh, books. Any book on Taoism that you pick up, whether it's a Qigong or a meditation book, Jing Qi and Shen get mentioned um, an awful lot. So most people will know, obviously, that that translates as the essence, the Jing is the essence. Uh, qi is your energy, if you like, and Shen is the spirit or the mind, you know, and this is um, this conversion of these three substances through the body is a subject of, of much discussion within internal arts. Certainly anybody encountering Qigong or Taoism that wants to go past the fundamental stages of it will encounter these, these three substances. The part of the problem with them though, with Jing, Qi and Shen, these Sambao, the three treasures, is that they also exist uh, within Chinese medicine as well. And this is, um, this is a part of the problem and this is really what I want to try and talk about is the fact that people um, over-include or over-subscribe to Chinese medicine uh, philosophies in their Qigong and their alchemy writings. Um, and, and I realize that might be heresy to say so because uh, everybody knows Chinese medicine, Qigong, Taoism, they're kind of linked. But that doesn't mean that the theories are always the same. Um, this comes up over and over again. It's, it's repeatedly uh, within comments upon videos I've done or books I've written or things like this because what I will do is I will write about things like Jing, Qi, and Shen, but I'll deviate a little bit from how Chinese medicine views them. I even deviate with regards to the channel system um, within my Neigong, within my Bagua, within my Tai Chi, from how Chinese medicine explains the channel system. I have a different way of understanding them. And I get this come up time and time again, and people say, no, you misunderstand Chinese medicine. That's not what they're talking about. This is not what the channels are. This is not what the Jing, Qi, Shen is. I know, I, I'm, I'm quite aware. Um, I don't know if people know, but I'm, not only am I a, a Chinese medicine practitioner, I don't wish to you know, sit here and give my CV, it always sounds a bit fucking arrogant when people do that. But I am a Chinese medicine practitioner, and other than that, I also run and teach at a Chinese medicine college. So I'm constantly <laughs> surrounded by Chinese medicine, have been for many years. I'm more than familiar with how Chinese medicine works, I'm more than familiar uh, with contemporary TCM startup Chinese medicine, I'm also more than familiar with the Chinese classics um, and, and more uh, older forms of Chinese medicine as well, who actually is where most of my interest lies. I'm, I'm more than familiar with how the concepts work. I know what the channel system is viewed as in Chinese medicine. I understand the concept chi. I'm not ignoring um, those teachings, Chinese medicine's teachings, when I talk about Qigong's view of Jing Qi Shen or, or, or the organ systems or, or anything like this. I'm not ignoring them because I don't know about Chinese medicine. I'm ignoring them because they are different subjects. That's really what it comes down to. They're different subjects. Um, so think of it like this. I, I mean, I understand. I do get it. I mean, if you've been in Qigong or alchemy for many years, a long time, it can be really confusing, right? It's, it's like, you know, there's all this metaphorical language. There's these elements. There's these organs. There's these channels, and they're coming up, and then there's tigers and dragons and copulating animals and, I don't know, all sorts of shit going on. And then it can be difficult because you don't understand what any of these terms mean. And then you've got Qigong as well, which is always really badly explained, isn't it? You know, let's be honest. It's something to do with lights coming into your body, I don't know, whatever. So it's, it's pretty poorly explained. So what happens is often people will then study Chinese medicine, acupuncture or something especially, which is often a, a, a normal route to go, isn't it? Qigong or Tai Chi into Chinese medicine. Um, and Chinese medicine all of a sudden seems to provide all these answers. There it is. And, and part of the reason for that is because it's a working um, theoretical framework. I mean, brilliant, that's what it is. It has a conceptual framework that all of a sudden explains 
um, or it appears to explain many of these concepts that have confused people for, for so long. So here we are now, in, oh right, okay, this is how the chi moves and how it's developed and this is its relationship with the spleen and the lungs and blah, blah, blah. Whereas Qigong and Tai Chi don't normally have such a complex theoretical framework, and alchemy is even worse because alchemy is still all taught about in metaphors so that you can't understand it unless you're in certain lineages or you pay enough money, let's be honest. What's it about, isn't it? Oh. Usually these days. So all of a sudden you get this framework of Chinese medicine that explains things, and then what happens is people will overlay that model of Chinese medicine onto everything else. So they overlay it onto Qigong, and they overlay it onto Tai Chi, onto Bagua, onto alchemy, um, onto everything really, because it gives them a way to explain things. But often those explanations are wrong. They're actually flawed. They're not correct. Um, it, sound, like, it can sound like it's correct, but it's not. It's what I call dot-joining philosophy, um, which is always an error. You know, dot-joining as in, this is a bit like this, so they must be the same, and this is a bit like this, so they must be the same. And this constant search for a correlation, even though the correlation is inaccurate. And, and we can all see dot-joining philosophy all the time. It appears in everything from, you know, people working out philosophies of this, that, to conspiracy theories, to anything. All these are a bit similar. Let's put them together. And dot joining is a correlation-based philosophy that, that doesn't necessarily work all the time because we can often find correlations between anything. And often it doesn't work between Chinese medicine and Qigong or Chinese medicine and Tai Chi or, or Bagua or alchemy. Now, it does to some degree because the basic understanding of the inner workings of the body were the same between these different traditions, um, but it's not 100%. So one example of this, for example, is the channel system, the Jing Luo system within Chinese medicine. Most people understand there's a set pathway of, of flows of qi through the body. And some people understand this to be like magical flows of energy. Some people talk about it more to be a functional sequence of uh, changes that take place across various regions. Well, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, they have this network of channels float on the surface, and they talk about these channels being the lung, the large intestine, stomach, spleen, heart, small intestine, blah, blah, blah. And these are the, you have the 12 primary channels, and it all gets very exciting when you start learning them. Uh, when you, I was younger, when I started learning the channels, I was a teenager, and it was all of a sudden, you know, there's this whole concept of like, whoa, there's a theoretical framework to place on top. They don't have any place anywhere, the, the actual acupuncture channels, apart from in acupuncture. That's it. They don't have any place in Qigong, seriously. They don't have any place in Tai Chi. They certainly don't have any place in Tai Chi. They don't have any place in, in Bagua either, not really. Because in Tai Chi and Bagua and Qigong, they do talk about opening the channels. Okay, they use that phrase. But the understanding of the channel system is actually very, very different. And I'm aware that's very controversial for me to say. And already I, I can almost feel virtual tomatoes, tomatoes, if you're American, being thrown at me, hurled at me through the screen, and, and downvote guy will be hitting the, the down thumb. Downvote guy. We got a downvote guy. Within 10 seconds of these videos going up, downvote guys hit downvote. I don't know who he is. I don't know what he gets out of it. Downvote guy, but I shed a little tear every time I see the little downvote. It hurts my feelings. But have at it. Actually, it might be Rob. Maybe Rob is downvote guy, because he's not in the show at the moment. Hmm. Anyway, so I can feel that some of you might be um, a little annoyed a little about that, but, but it's true. Like the channel system, okay, in Qigong, we do not circulate the qi through the lung and the large intestine and the stomach and the spleen channels and, and so on and so on. Um, definitely not. We, you do see that now within contemporary Qigong. 
Um, they do talk about that, but then systems have been created by the Chinese government where they've attempted to, Chinese sports authority, where they've tried to incorporate Chinese medicine and Qigong and everything together. But that wasn't the channels they're speaking about. Actually, the channels they're talking about in um, Qigong are more to do with the channel system as it's understood within the Yijinjing, the sinew changing classic, which you can find a, a video on my YouTube channel um, in great detail, me explaining what the Yijinjing is. Um, where the channel system are actually um, more of a discussion of the uh, conduction uh, of qi, of energy through the body, through the sinews of the body, which is not the same. The sinew channels and the sinews do run along similar pathways to the lung, the large intestine and so on, but that wasn't the channels they were talking about, not really. Actually, the deeper channels of the ren, the du, they do have a place within qigong, but the idea is that uh, qigong should mobilize qi within the zone of the entire body, that will push into the Du and the Ren, and gradually the sort of final stages of the process will be that when the Qi permeates towards the surface of the body, like under the action of pressure from the inside, these are Neigong teachings and Qigong teachings, they will actually filter through, and as a byproduct of your practice of the pressurization from inside, the channel system that we know from Chinese medicine does get influenced. But what we don't do, what we don't do is start with those. I don't stretch my lung, I don't stretch my large intestine, it's not really what it's about. It's not how it works. It's even worse in Tai Chi, because the Jin patterns in Tai Chi are mobilized um, through channels, okay, pathways. Certainly at the beginning. Later in Tai Chi, it's a little different. When the body is full and Pung is there, um, then it doesn't quite work the same way. But for a long time, we do mobilize Qi according to, through the channels, according to various masters' writing. But again, they do not mean the lung, the large intestine, the stomach, between these little fine sort of dot the dot connect, connecting, dot connect again, isn't it? Dot the dot connecting the dot channel lines through the body. That's not what they run through. They run, run once again through the connective tissues. Uh, so they run in sort of lines of um, connectivity and elasticity and conduction that are built inside the body through our practice. So often what I see is I see um, modern Tai Chi books and in the Tai Chi book is normally someone doing a Tai Chi posture uh, or whatever and they'll draw the, the meridians on it and because I'm doing this it must be the heart channel and because they're doing this, it must be stretching the lung channel or something. It's not how it works. And, and definitely, Tai Chi does not mobilize Qi along those channels. That's not, not how it happens. Those channels are primarily for influencing the inside of the body, um, or we use them through needles through contact, but they're not used in Tai Chi. Not really. It's the sinew channels okay, that we are using, if you wish to equate it to something in Chinese medicine. Bagua, definitely not. Oh no, I see people drawing that and I see people circle walking and they draw the, the channels on and this is stretching here. So again, it's probably the small intestine or the heart. And if I turn my body like this, I'm stretching the gallbladder channel and I see people drawing these sequences, these positions with the channels on. It's not how Bagua works. Bagua does not use those channels, definitely not, like no relationship to whatsoever. The health side of Tai Chi, the building of Bagua, sorry, the, the building of the inside, is about the mobilization of the inside of the body um, and the development of qi, if you want to use classical terminology, that fills the body from the inside. It does not use those channel systems. Part of the reason that these positions are used is because they, they influence the spaces on the inside of the body in certain ways, so that when I sung and release, it directs the process of change in a different kinetic chain through the body, and each one of these matches one of the concepts of the gua, the eight gua. So that's what we have, eight forms of chain, change that can mobilize inside the body. It's nothing to do with the meridian system. But I can see why people would make that mistake because, again, if you've done, as I did, you know, as I used to make this mistake when I was younger and I was new to this and I was trying to understand it. And I think that um, 
what happens, like I say, is you, you do Bagua or something, and you do Tai Chi, and, and, and you, maybe you can't access any information for a long time. It's like, I'm, it's like I'm, well, I desperately want to understand Bagua or Xing Yi or something, you know, and, and um, I'm really keen, and I've got all this exuberance, and I want to get into it, and brilliant, where do I start? Oh, yeah, there's no theory about it. What do you mean there's no theory? Uh, there's no theory about it. I'm sorry, nobody knows. You just do this position. It's like a Gua. <sighs> all right, so that's very frustrating. For someone who's very cerebral, I want to understand how does this work. So then what happens is someone comes along and well-meaning but incorrectly says, well, in Chinese medicine, they say, if you put your body like this, it'll stretch along the stomach channel or something like that. And it's not how it works. But I can see how people come to that conclusion, but it's incorrect. It is definitely 100%, I can safely say with no sense of doubt, <laughs> incorrect. Yeah, it is people uh, seeking correlation between two systems in order to try to understand something, to try to explain something in the same way that um, Somebody thought it was wise to try and explain that the moon was made of cheese or the earth was flat or something like that. Actually, people still think the earth is flat, don't they? I thought that I was going to talk about that like it was an old theory to help explain something more like, you know, God's angry so thunder comes or something like that. Or, but, yeah, people still think the world is flat. That confuses me a bit. If anyone uh, has any actually compelling evidence that the earth is flat or can even justify why people believe the earth is flat, I'd be very interested to here because I'm not, I'm not sold on that idea, but it's a popular one, isn't it? So this correlative philosophy is placed upon, um, placed upon these arts um, incorrectly, and this is where the error starts to, uh, starts to arise you know, within these arts. Now, we should be careful of this because um, as soon as we start applying Chinese medicine into the body, and um, the other reason why I'm against it is because actually it starts to um, weaken people's potential within these arts. And the reason I say this is because I remember studying Chinese medicine originally, and what people said to me was, uh, Western medicine is the study of sickness. Chinese medicine is the study of wellness. And I was like, that sounds nice. That sounds like a, a, a really good philosophy. That's really nice. Okay, Chinese medicine is the study of wellness. Western medicine is the study of illness. So then I start studying Chinese medicine. It's also the study of illness. Of course it is. It's the study of imbalance, the nature of imbalance. It's the study of illness, exactly the same as Western medicine. It is the study of what happens in the body when it's not functioning to its highest potential. And I've had this conversation with acupuncturists before, herbalists, Chinese medicine. They're like, no, 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 definitely not. You just don't understand the deeper philosophy. It's the study of wellness, really. It's the study of wellness. We spend all our time studying the pathology of the organ systems, the imbalance of yin and yang within the body, and they can say, yeah, yeah, but it's a study of wellness because we aim to move on someone towards wellness. Well, hopefully that's what they're also doing in Western medicine as well. Sometimes maybe not, but you know, the aim is they're always moving towards wellness. So what's the difference? Of course, if you're going to look at it like that way, it's the study of wellness, but it's not. It's a study of illness. It's the study of what happens when the body is in a deficient state. Even the study of the Shen, the five Shen, is a study of what happens within the mind once there is fragmentation of, of this Yuan Shen into five composite parts or, or more. It is the study of things in an acquired, a Hotian state, a postnatal state, according to alchemical terminology, when things are wrong. Now, Qigong. Uh, from a medical perspective, maybe you could argue Tai Chi from a medical perspective, maybe that is also the study of illness. You know, maybe medical Qigong is about that, is about like, okay, let's look at these deficiencies and try to sort them out and, and fix them up, and that's all cool. But actually Qigong at its higher levels, Neigong at its higher levels, certainly Tai Chi at its higher levels, Bagua at its higher levels, are about improving the efficiency of the human body system and the human mind system to levels that some people would call 
extraordinary. Some people don't believe in it, so they say that it's highly efficient, but whatever. The idea is that whatever your body's natural capacity for, these arts are to take it further. They're to take it further than that. And, and it's like you were born with this potential, but we can go further. We can improve the efficiency of the body's function. In the case of Tai Chi Obagwa, it's about developing this internal force, whether the internal force is used for combat or used for spiritual development, it doesn't matter. It's like this power that comes from the inside. It's vitally important, and we'll get back to that in a minute. Um, with the case of Qigong, it's like, okay, we can maximize the energetic potential of the body, and we can build this substance of qi, and then with the neigong, it's like we can put this into this battery within the dantian, and we can take these two things called yin and yang, and we can squeeze them together, and all sorts of crazy stuff happens, you know? And alchemy, I mean, excuse my stiffen, by the way. I'm not diseased. I'm not dying of COVID. Don't panic. I think I'll survive um, the pandemic, I would assume. If I don't survive it, I take that back, but I guess I won't be around to see. Um, but actually, I've just been flapping sheets around and moving things around, you know, just a bit of dust in the air. So don't worry, I'm not diseased. I'm just breathing in dust. And if you've got a nose the size of mine, you'll sneeze if there's dust around. So, uh, what was I talking about? Yes, the efficiency of the body. And definitely in alchemy, what happens is we're trying to increase the efficiency of the body-mind to such a point that it turns into what? <laughs> immortality. I mean, whether you, whether you agreed, whether you believed in immortality was the highest of the high, a literal immortality, you know, you can live forever. Or whether immortality was, was um, a less, I mean, I believe it's actually um, literal spiritual immortality. That's my belief. I don't mean physical, but I think spiritual immortality. But even if you don't believe that, which is fine, it's only my belief system, and I might be crazy. It's quite possible. But if you actually believe that the immortality is um, uh, either a metaphor for in like incredibly long life, like 120 years or something like that, 150 years or whatever, or you believe immortality is actually another term for spiritual cultivation, like enlightenment, it doesn't matter. It's a pretty high-minded thing, right? So I would argue that that would be the body-mind system functioning at a super efficient rate, like super efficient, beyond what would be possible for a mentally sick or physically sick person. We're trying to, if this is your potential and you're operating down around here in poor health, we're going to take you up to efficiency and then beyond to create these things. Chinese medicine can't do that. Chinese medicine cannot do that for you because Chinese medicine is based in sickness. It's all about taking the body to harmony. It's not about taking the body beyond that. It's not about taking the body to its maximum potential. You cannot acupuncture someone to enlightenment or something like that. Yeah, okay, that's another argument I've had with acupuncturists, that they believe that they can actually create profound spiritual change in the needles. With the needles, yeah, maybe you can create psychological change, give someone like a higher degree of, degree of ease, settle their emotions, but can you lead a person uh, into enlightenment through needles? No. No, definitely not. Uh-oh. Not possible. So by overlaying this model of Chinese medicine onto things like Qigong or Bagua or, or Tai Chi and this channel system and the meridian points and things like that, you're actually limiting, uh, limiting their potential. You really are. Um, they cannot go past a certain point. But again, like I said, I can see why, because you encounter these arts, especially, especially Tai Chi and Bagua. I mean, poof, have you seen the books? Like, I don't want to badmouth other authors, that's highly um, petty of me, and I've not written the Tai Chi Obago book, so I've not done a better job, but I'm sure there are a couple of good ones. I haven't read the entire pantheon of you know, martial arts books out there, but the vast majority, we can say, the vast majority of Bagua and Tai Chi books are awful. They're so bad. Actually, there's a couple of good Tai Chi ones. I like Wiki Jin's book. That's good. 
I like that. And I like Patrick Kelly's. I thought that was kind of cool, even though it was more biographical than instructional. Um, just to mention them, Jusong Hua's Tai Chi book, I thought that was good, that was kind of cool, that was one that kept me going when I was younger. But on the whole, most Tai Chi and certainly Bagua books are pretty shocking, they're pretty poor. And, and essentially what they are, if you pick up a, a Chinese internal arts martial art book, you open it up, and the first third is history. And it's the same history you've read over and over again. And some of it's semi-mythological and some of it's accurate and some of it's argumentative. Did Chang Seng Feng give it to the Chen family? Did the Ten family teach? Yang Lu Chan after he was a servant boy for this long and, and then he watched through a hole in the wall like some kind of Tai Chi peeping Tom and I don't know, like all of that stuff. You know the Tai Chi history, you know the Bagua history or you've heard it, but every book, come on guys, let's never produce a Tai Chi or Bagua book with another historical lineage history of the families in it again, please. I'm so bored of them. And then what happens after you get that is you get your linear charts and then Bagua books are a nightmare because then what you get is a load of stuff on the I Ching. So there are 64 hexagrams, there are eight gua, eight trigrams, and this is the meaning of them. And in the body, we can say that up here is a fire one and down is a one. They never connected to practice, to, to the actual Bagua. It's completely divorced theory. Like there's, there's no connection. And I've been to some of the, the supposed like highest Bagua masters. Oh, I'm going to be really negative. I don't mean to be really negative on this one. I apologize. I mean, there are many good practitioners as well, um, but there's some dodgy ones trading on their names, trust me, uh, on their <coughs> family names. But I go to see him and I go, all right, okay, so I've traveled all this way. I've come all the way across the planet. I'm here to be a student. It's all cool. Let's do some Bagua. Please explain to me how do the trigrams match the body. And you know what they do? They go, well, this is heaven gua. This is it. Is that it? Is that the extent of the profound connection of the I Ching to Bagua? And gradually over the years, I've discovered actually that the connection between um, the I Ching and Bagua is very, very profound between Bagua Zhang. And actually there's a massive connection uh, to them, but it, it's just not apparent. But normally what you get in the book is that history, bit of I Ching theory that's not connected to the practice. Then you get what? Five million photographs. Here's some photographs of me doing some postures. How are you going to understand a martial art through that? You're not. No way on earth. No way on earth. They're terrible. And the mad thing is that people pick up these books and, and I, I go, what do you think of the book? And they go, oh, amazing. Why was it amazing? Just amazing. Why amazing? What was in it that was amazing? Tell me what was in it apart from history, a bit of the trigrams, and then some black and white photos. And the same in most Tai Chi books. You pick it up, it's just freaking photos over and over again. It's photos of forms. We know what single whip looks like. Don't need to see it again. So if you're confronted with that kind of theory, that kind of like lack of theory, obviously what you're going to do is you're going to start to try and fill in the blanks. And what people will do is they will fill in the blanks with Chinese medicine quite often. If they're more martially minded, they'll fill in the blanks from karate or Shaolin or something with regards to body mechanics and make a mistake there. Because karate and Shaolin's mechanics do not match Tai Chi's or Bagua's even slightly other than you lose your arms and legs, you know, but other than that, there's nothing. But with Chinese medicine, and do it again. They'll, they'll overlay them in, um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's not correct. It makes, a, it makes a huge, huge error because it limits the arts, and it's definitely not how they work. I think especially with um, Tai Chi and Bagua as well, um, because some of the trigrams, uh, the symbols, are linked to organs because of the correlation of the elements and the organs and things like that. People will assume that in Bagua they're talking about the organs. When people say fire and water, they think they're talking about sort of heart and kidneys. 
but that's not true either. That's, that's definitely not the case. And they're talking about something different. There's, they're talking about aspects of um, relationship of consciousness to regions of the body, actually, um, in Bhagwa, so that the tissues mobilize in a very specific way. So this uh, correlation of Chinese medicine to, to the arts carries into alchemy um, as well. And there's, there's many, many alchemy books and Chinese medicine books. So what they do, uh, sorry, meditation books, Taoist meditation ones, where what they'll do is they'll say, here's a classical line. It's about fire and water um, submerging or, or something like this. And then what they do is they'll equate it with Chinese medicine. So what you get is um, Taoist alchemy books that are all about the heart and the kidneys integrating with each other, which is not actually accurate. It's not really what's supposed to happen. And they talk about the lungs and the liver relating to each other. It's not actually accurate. It just so happens that the dragon and tiger are manifestations or representations like archetypes, metaphorical archetypes, of a kind of energy, a kind of consciousness energy within the body. But because they are equated with metal and wood elementally, people assume that also means the lungs and the liver. So then they start to equate, OK, the lungs and the liver have to communicate. Lungs, I don't know why it's pointing over here. My lungs aren't over here. Oh, God, maybe I shouldn't teach Chinese medicine. My anatomy is awful. Lungs are in here somewhere. Somewhere in here, in the chest. That's all I know. So uh, the lungs and liver have to communicate with each other. It's not true. It's not true. The organ of the lungs does not have to communicate with the liver. That's not how the dragon and the tiger mix. Again, it's a mistaken correlation of organs from Chinese medicine theory with our chemical theory. That's not how it works at all. Um, and then what will happen is people say, well, how do we um, connect these organs together? So I've seen people trying to do alchemy, imagining a color or a light in their heart, and then imagining a color and light in the kidneys and then in the lungs. I keep pointing over here. I'm determined the lungs over here. The lungs and the liver and the spleen and, and starting to like, um, you know, converging by pulling these lights in so all the colors merge. It's not, it's not what's supposed to be happening. If you are being taught that, um, then I hate to tell you, what you're actually being taught is um, uh, the outer door version that's made up to keep the general public happy and they don't really want you to learn anything. That's not how it works because I know of some quite competent alchemy teachers actually who, who understand the process. They know full well that alchemical practice does not involve imagining colors in your organs moving in a circle round or converging in the body using your childlike imaginary mind. They know that's not how alchemy works, but that's still what they teach because they don't really want people to learn it. They actually, they just want to keep people happy and they've learned that people are actually quite happy imagining things. Part of the reason people are happy imagining things because when you imagine something, because your nervous system has the capability for um, somatic sort of experience because of your mind, you will feel things. And what you will feel is something you go, wow, that's amazing, I feel that. And then you are given like a reward. It's like, okay, right, I've achieved something because I felt something moving around under the skin. Or it doesn't matter, man. Like I could, I could imagine a random thing. I, my, my body and my mind are quite well connected because of the things I've done. So if I put my hand up like that, and what am I going to imagine? I'm going to imagine 15, I don't know why 15, it's a sacred number to me, right? 15 racehorses chasing summit. I don't know why racehorses are chasing summit. What are they chasing? They're chasing a penguin. 15 racehorses chasing a penguin down my arm, very slowly, down towards the palm. There goes the 15 racehorses, there goes the penguin. They got the fucker, trampled him to death. And do you know what I felt? I felt a strong tingling pulse that moved down, I'm not lying, right down my bicep and then right between the two bones between the radius on it, I felt something move and then when it got to there I felt like a little spreading so is that chi movement going into Laogong 
No, not at all. No, it's because I had my mind connected to my body and I had a visualization uh, taking place. So what happens is the nervous system somatically registers the experience of my mind interacting with my body. Whether I imagined, what was it? Racehorses and penguins? I'm a sick man. On my arm, or I imagined something more profound like dragon and tigers copulating. Hang on a minute. With an alchemy, these dragon and tigers copulating, that's more no more ridiculous than racehorses and penguins, is it? I don't think it is, but anyway. Whatever it is I imagine, it doesn't matter, it will still generate that same feeling. And I've done this with people as well. They've, they've come to me and they said, well, I can imagine this red and blue light mixing in the center. I'm okay, what's it feel like? Well, oh, you know, that's what they do. Can't explain it, mate. Entered into emptiness, two red lights converging. Okay, no problem, all right. Uh, how about try this uh, really old uh, version, this, uh, this much older version that, uh, that I've studied and they go, all right, great. And I give them a random symbol. I give them a random symbol, two random symbols, you know, whatever, and they imagine that mixing taking place. You know what? They get the same experience. They get the same somatic experience because the imagination is generating that movement within the body. Now, this is where, normally when I say this about like the imagination, um, people will then go, ah, but what about Tibetan Buddhism when they imagine uh, deities and you create this deity in your head and it works so well in Tibetan Buddhism? Yeah, you know why it works well in Tibetan Buddhism? <laughs> oh God, shouldn't go into this because everyone gets really defensive about it. Because it keeps your mind happy. I've been involved in Buddhism as well. Uh, I had a lot of contact with Tibetan Buddhism for, for a long time. And, and I, have, I know some people that are very, very engaged in this tradition as well as the, the, the Southeast Asian and the, and the Chinese traditions of, of Buddhism. Nobody at the high levels is achieving the high levels by imagining, picturing deities. I'm really sorry, they're not. That's like beginner level stuff that is used to entertain and formulate a concept within the mind because the deities may uh, constitute an archetype of an aspect of consciousness or an idea or a layer of heaven or a virtue or, or whatever it is, whatever is attached to that symbol because you're constantly imagining it and all the time and you know what those associations are, then your mind is focusing mentally on creating something that has that attachment to that kind of concept. So does that concept arise in you? Yeah, yeah, it will. If I sit there imagining the, the deity of compassion in great deal, those kind of qualities are going to arise in me. Is that a good practice? Yes, of course. Absolutely amazing. Like, I think that's great. I think as a cultivation thinker, is it actually meditation? No. No, it's not. Definitely not. Because it's not based on the concept of stilling the mind and allowing it to absorb into an object or developing an idea of the, of the observer. So it's not like the observer is absorbing into the object, as in some traditions, or object absorbing into the observer, another, you know, whatever. It's not following those. Um, principles, it's still imagination-based training or tantric work or something like that using these kind of ideas. They're to generate concepts and qualities. They're not really to take people to the, to the higher levels um, of the practice, you know. But, but, you know, I don't want to be a party pooper, so if it helps you, more power to you. I can highly recommend racehorses chasing a penguin down your arm, if you wish to. Now, all of the Nagong traditions and meditation traditions and alchemy traditions at their high levels do not involve um, the meditation, uh, the, the imagination at all. Um, that's not, not what they use. Um, and again, it's a little bit of sort of correlative connection between things because people will hear, well, okay, there's deities in the body. 
yeah, it's trying to tell you something. What it's not telling you is imagine the deities. I mean, it's telling you there's these elements within the body. There's fire and earth and metal, water, wood, and if you're using the five-element model within the body, it's not saying to imagine those, those elements, definitely not. If nothing else, they don't even represent elements. The five elements don't represent elements. What they represent is five processes of, of change, of transformation, because the number five within the Chinese arts ultimately indicates something that is rolling forward and converting. The number four represents form. I think I talked about it in the last podcast. Five is that that is rolling forward. So in the case of the elements, what each one is showing is the growth of something that comes to fruition. And you know, it's, it's, an, it's a way of understanding the way something grows and develops. What it doesn't indicate is five organs within the body. Where does it indicate five organs within the body? Chinese medicine. Chinese medicine does, because they're trying to overlay the theory into the body system. But that doesn't mean that that's how it works uh, within your body in alchemy, or it's not how it works in meditation. And it's a bit of a shame, because, again, I, I made this error as well, you know, and I'm, I'm sure some of you will, will hear this talk and go, no, I don't agree with Damo, he's a fucking lunatic and he doesn't understand any of these arts anyway. What does he know? He's not Chinese. That's normally what happens because people are still racist in these arts and they can't understand that maybe you don't have to be Chinese to be all right at them. Um, so, <laughs> but I made this mistake too because that was the, the, the kind of the knowledge I had, like many people, and, and it took a while for me to understand this wasn't the case and have good tuition to explain to me this wasn't the case. But that model makes sense in that part of your mind, but it is incorrect. It is incorrect. It's not how it works, right? So, within alchemy, say, um, we talk about Jing Qi and Shen. Jing Qi and Shen. What I want to do is I want to look at those three substances, Jing Qi and Shen, which is where I said I'd start with at the start of this ramble. Some may call it a podcast. I call it a ramble. Downvote guy within 10 seconds or call it a waste of internet space or something, I don't know. But um, yeah, Jing Qi Shen, okay, I, I can contradict myself a little bit actually because there are some crossovers for Jing Qi Shen. Oh, what am I doing? Arguing myself. It's because no one else is around. No one else around. It's just me on my lonesome. There's Guan Yin in the corner. Um, that's it, really. So I just have to argue with myself. Jing Qi Shen do have some, some uh, crossovers, some things the same. Um, but within alchemy, they're a little bit different. So Within Chinese medicine, for example, we talk about Jing Qi and Shen, and they talk about Jing being linked to the kidneys and so on and so on. But, and and uh, Qi, you know, it's everywhere, and, and Shen are linked to the, rooted into the heart. But in actual fact, in alchemy, um, they are located in slightly different uh, positions, the location of them. Now, we can see some crossovers between alchemy and Chinese medicine, but I'll tell you where the crossovers come. It's not Chinese medicine into alchemy. Mm -mm. It's alchemy into Chinese medicine. It's the other way. Alchemy influenced Chinese medicine, not in reverse. So actually what happens is I can translate some alchemy theory into Chinese medicine and it works. There are some correlations. So for example, um, the Jing, okay, the essence is said to reside around the region of the kidneys and in some traditions they say it moves into the prinium towards Hui Yin, the, the gathering of Yin, or the utmost Yin at the base of the body. Um, and then from there it, it does all of its functions of promoting growth and blah, blah, blah. You're, if you're, I'm sure you're familiar with what essence does. I won't bore you with that. But uh, there are also regions of the body that correspond to each of these substances, to uh, Jing, Qi, and Shen. Like, they, that's the case. Now, in, um, in the lower abdomen, the correspondence, or in the torso, sorry, the correspondences of Jing are with the lower abdomen. Sorry, I told you the punchline before the joke. The correspondences with Jing is the lower abdomen, in the, particularly the lower dantian. 
Now, this can be confusing because surely the lower dantian is filled with cheese. So the lower dantian is filled with cheese. Well, yes. But actually, that will only happen. The yin and yang correspondences will only take place within the lower abdomen, and the chi will only start to build according to our chemical teachings if the jing is strong, if there is a lot of essence. And this is a lot of the reason for um, teachings around preservation of uh, jing in the early stages of alchemy, especially, or in qigong, is why do we preserve the jing? Because it provides an anchor that enables the yin and yang chi to move down into that region of the body. So for that reason, we say that the abdominal cavity um, has a very close relationship to, to the jing, right? Now, Jing elementally was linked to water, um, so this became the water region of the body, the, the lower abdomen, um, basically. So in Chinese medicine, we can see this because there's a, a powerful point for the Jing called uh, Guanyuan, Ren 4, that is situated down on your lower abdomen underneath the navel. Most people know Ren 6 as Qi Hai, but underneath that is Ren 4. Obviously, Ren 5 is in the middle, but Ren 4 is Guanyuan. Um, and this is a, a place that actually influences the Jing of the body, influences the essence. Now, if it influences the essence, why is it not round by the kidneys or why is it not the perineum? It's on that part of the body because actually it's in front of the lower dantian. It's actually just underneath it. So within alchemical teachings, we have the lower dantian and underneath we have something called the ding. Uh, sorry, the lu. This is the ding, isn't it? The lu, meaning the sort of fire, the furnace fire. And it's the idea is the water is sort of cooked by the fire and steamed. And what they're talking about is actually the, the consolidation of Jing and then the sort of processing of it to move it into action. So there's, there's no actual fire, obviously, not so far down there. But we're actually moving that Jing into action. And what we're represented by its action is the functions of Jing are carried out nice and strongly. And one of those functions of Jing is to anchor the Qi down to that area so that the, the Dantian can build. So the corresponding point on the front of the body in Chinese medicine is Ren 4, which is taken from alchemy. It's taken from alchemy. It's taken from the location of the ding and the loo, the cauldron and the furnace, the lower dantian and the space underneath, and put into that region. Then the chi is linked to the middle dantian, actually. So even though chi fills the lower dantian, they say that chi is processed in the middle dantian. This is why you see jing, chi, shen in the body. So the middle dantian, okay, actually in Chinese medicine, we see this. It corresponds with the uh, almost just underneath the solar plexus, actually. Now, this will confuse people because people say, surely the middle dantian is the heart and the upper dantian is the head. Actually, within old alchemical teachings, the lower dantian was down in the abdomen, the middle dantian is the solar plexus, and the upper dantian is the heart. The head wasn't even included. The upper dantian only became the head, and the heart became the middle dantian in later developments of alchemy when some Buddhist teachings and even some Hindu teachings started to be incorporated into it. Prior to that, they were all in the torso. So the middle dantian was sat underneath the solar plexus, so what they talk about in one of the key ways that qi is developed within the body, the postnatal qi in Chinese medicine, is it comes from the spleen and the earth element and the digestive system and, and the stomach, you know, but obviously because you eat food and it processes qi from the food is the teaching. So one of the strongest points for the digestive system, there are others, is Zhongwan, is uh, uh, central granary, um, which sits around the region of the solar plexus. Now, it's not on the stomach itself. It's almost is, I suppose, but it's in the middle because it's on the middle of the So once again, our chemical teachings have been passed over. So what they're doing is they're trying to tonify this place where the chi is produced within the body. Now, on the chest, you have the um, idea is the upper dantian or the location of the shin is, uh, the shen, sorry, is the spirit is housed into the shin, the heart, rooted into the heart. So the upper dantian would be placed here in a lot of alchemical things. So they'd always work inside the torso. Um, and only when they were ready to 
activate the pill would they rise everything up. But gradually what happened was the upper dantian and the pill became correlated with each other within the head as, as our chemical teachings um, developed, you know, move past that. Now, the, one of the strongest points for the Shen, for calming the Shen within Chinese medicine is Shenzhong, center of the chest, um, Ren 17, which is where they would have placed the Dantian associated with the Shen within alchemy. And okay, you can say it's on top of the heart, but more accurately, it's where the upper Dantian resided. So in this way, it's not the Chinese medicine that's influenced alchemy, it's the alchemy that's influenced uh, Chinese medicine. So does this work the other way around? Do I then treat the kidneys, the spleen, uh, kidneys, around the back, sorry, the spleen and the heart uh, within Chinese medicine to balance those, those energies of the Jing Qi Shen or the fire, the earth and the, and the water? No, no you don't. No you don't because we're not talking about the organs. If anything, we're talking about three correlative regions that relate to whether these substances, Jing Qi and Shen are processed in the body that relate to the elements. So earth, fire, water, these three, not even got to metal and wood yet, but fire, earth and water are here. It's not the heart, it's not the spleen, it's not the stomach, it's not really the kidneys. Those are correlations that are incorrect because people are connecting the elements to the organs because Chinese medicine theory has been placed on there within alchemy. They don't really talk about the organs. Even on some of the classical touch, charts, you've got the Shu Jian Tu, where people talk about the location, where they, there is a classical chart called the Shu Jian Tu um, that does talk about the organs, but even then the organs are used metaphorically and they're not even placed in an accurate point in the body. They actually place the organs over these regions that are worked with in alchemy. So the fire and water are merged in the center within the earth element and they don't really involve the organs at all. Now, within alchemy, the conversion of Jing Qi and Shen uh, within the body the essence really, part of the thing that confuses people, they think that actually the Jing is converted into something else that rises up through the body. Now, one of the functions of Jing is to generate Qi, one of the functions of Qi is to generate Shen, that's true. Um, but it's not by converting into the next one. Now, for simplicity's sake, we can say it is. You know, just keep things simple, like a simple model. Say you have something to work with, we can say that, but it's not really how it works. Actually, what happens is the Jing is consolidated. Um, and essentially that energy is allowed to grow still, hence the reason for stillness, allowing the water to settle, the muddy waters to settle, water region, mud settling down in the water like sediment collecting on the bottom of a glass. The symbol is showing you the settling of the mind till the jing consolidates. The byproduct of this is that the jing will then govern the actions of the, of the lower region of the body so much better that the chi is actually gathered and brought down. It's like the anchor of jing draws it. And then what happens is the efficiency of the body in chi production goes up and it starts to increase at the region of the middle dantian or the solar plexus. So what happens is now, um, now you will produce more energy from the food that you eat and so on and so on because the, the actions and the efficiency of your body have increased because of the jing's function of housing that qi. If the jing is not strong, the essence is weak, the qi will disperse. That function is not so strong. So we can say that the refined jing generates more qi. Does it mean the refined jing is turned into qi? Not really. Uh, we could use that as a simple model, but actually because it's refined, this function gets better. Because the qi is now generated better at the middle dantian, they say it converts into shen, where actual fact, when this gets really strong and the body is functioning at a very, very high level, uh, and the health of the organs are good and the health of the body is good, like how much better are you mentally when you've got lots of energy? I mean, that's just obvious. I mean, how grumpy are you when you're really tired? If someone really annoying comes to you and you've got loads of energy, you can go, yeah, 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 you can humor them and pretend you don't want to kill them. 
But if you're really tired, you get really grumpy, really fidgety. You ever tried missing a couple of nights sleep and then taking questions from a difficult person? It's very, very difficult. Because your, your spirit, your shen is just not there. Like how much more spiritually awake are you when you have lots of energy? So what happens is the qi converts into shen, like it generates that action. Now, is this really shen? No, it's shin, it's mind actually. It's not, it's not shen, it's mind. Uh, because your mind functions on a higher level. What they then say is that uh, you know, between heaven and earth, earth being the base of the body, heaven being the head, uh, the, the, the consciousness up here, is the, the, they say the, the mind, the Shen, will rise to heaven. Well, ultimately what they mean is once this part of the body functions well enough and the spirit is a very high level, uh, then it's possible to open the pathway, the central channel to the brain, which is where the, the true spirit resides, the Yuan Shen. Um, and this is the sort of light that irradiates in the brain at the pineal gland, at the upper dantian, and at the upper upper dantian, if you like, the one above it. This is the realm of heaven. So we have uh, water, earth, fire, heaven, these kind of correspondences. Now, is all that done through balancing the organs of the body? No. No, it's not. Is all that done by opening the lung channel and the large intestine channel? No, no, it's not. That doesn't exist within it. It's just not part of it. Do the lung and the large intestine channel have functions with regards to your health? Yes, yeah, they do. Do the organs have functions with regards to your health? Well, of course. I mean, if your lungs aren't functioning well, your lungs aren't functioning well, which is very timely at the moment. If your kidneys aren't functioning well, your kidneys aren't functioning well, and so on and so on. But how do we do that? How do we, how do we improve them? Do I sit there trying to work the org work my lungs, work my spleen, work my feelings? Do I open these channels? And no, no, not at all. What we do is we build the Jing, the Qi, and the Shen. This is what alchemy was about. It was about the conversion. So what happens when that stillness takes place within that area and the Jing can consolidate, as they say, or, or, or its function gets stronger down here, then what happens is this earth element starts to increase more production. So you start to produce more Qi, more energy, more in the body. It probably happens on a cellular level. The metabolism is better. The generation of energy within your system is a lot better. And what happens when you have that extra energy? as it starts to move, according to classical teachings, into the organ system to improve them. So the organ systems are improved as a byproduct of the alchemy, not by working with the organ systems. The qi moves into the organ systems. Same with the channel system. Do we have to open the organ channels? No, the qi flows into the channel system afterwards as a byproduct, because now there's more energy in the body. If there's more energy in the body and things are moving properly, then it's going to move into those uh, channels, and then the body is going to improve. The functioning of the body is going to improve. So therefore, what happens is the alchemical teachings start to um, create that change without the need for overlaying the Chinese medicine teachings on top. Hmm. So does that mean as a Qigong practitioner or an alchemy practitioner or a Tai Chi practitioner or whatever that you should ignore Chinese medicine teachings? No. Countering myself once again. Do you argue with myself? No, because what is um, alchemy? What is Tai Chi? What is Qigong? It's, to me, it's the study of something at its most efficient level. How can we make something function really efficiently, especially with alchemy, like super efficiently? But what goes on is within a perfect world, that would be great, but it's not a perfect world, and mistakes are made, and people will get sick, and, and people come with sickness. You come with sickness. You, you start your practice, and I'm sorry, I'm tangled up in wires. I apologize. You can't see down here. I'm professional, but I'm tangled up in wires. It's, you come with these imbalances, and, and often you have to deal with these, because if you're coming perfectly healthy, you could just, straight, just get straight into that work of making the body function efficiently. Because you have had a life, and you've had some fun, and you know, you've done some things that are really great, but bad for your body, these patterns are already there. 
So when you start working with the body, then those patterns are going to arise, right? Do you um, try to just carry on pushing through them? No. What you do is you use the tool that is the study of sickness. What is the study of sickness? Chinese medicine. And again, I can hear the, because <laughs> it's a study of holistic wellness and perfection. I don't fucking know, whatever it is you want to say. It's the study of sickness. It's a study of the nature of disease, of pathology, and how it moves through the body um, as much as anything. So if you have that as a tool, then you can understand the imbalance. So then what happens is Chinese medicine is used to treat the imbalances, but ultimately the theory of those arts is then not based in Chinese medicine. So the Chinese medicine treats the illness, but then you just keep practicing um, on top of that. And, and Chinese medicine can be really useful for that. I advise all Qigong practitioners, especially Qigong practitioners, to study Chinese uh, medicine um, because then you will understand disease, you'll understand deficiency within the body. Now, my views on the Chinese medicine not being overly overlaid onto alchemy and Tai Chi and Bagua and things like that. It's not just plucked out of the air. It, it comes out of uh, my experience, comes out of my practice, comes out of my knowledge of Chinese medicine, also comes out of the fact that I've had very good teachers and they're able to explain such things and so how it works. But once again, I'm not anti-people putting Chinese medicine if they want to make it Chinese medicine. So obviously medical Qigong is a later development than some other forms. It's different from Nagong, definitely. And medical Qigong is about, again, sickness. It's a practice of, of studying the nature of deficiencies within the body or excess or stagnation or whatever and, and changing it. Should Chinese medicine principles be incorporated in that? Sure, because it's a different thing. Medical Qigong to me is a hybrid. It is a hybrid of those two, but medical Qigong is not Qigong proper to me. Medical Qigong is not Nagong. It doesn't contain that process. Hmm, maybe I should explain that. So everybody will define terms differently, and all you can ever do with a teacher is try to understand how they define terms. So to me, Nagong has two meanings. One, within the martial arts, it means a way of developing internal power, and it's used that way. Within non-martial arts, Nagong essentially means um, the process of transformation within the body. So it's quite like alchemy. It's like the development of qi, the building of the dantian, the opening of the channel system, the building of yin and yang, the development of all of these kind of high-level things. Qigong is not Neigong. Qigong are exercises that are aimed at carrying out a function. So I might have an exercise that is aimed to relax me. I don't know, maybe that's the aim. That's Qigong. Qigong is used as a tool to move through the Neigong process. That's basically what it is. We use it as a tool. Sometimes the Neigong process is using static sitting work. Sometimes the Neigong process is using um, moving exercises. It doesn't matter. But the Neigong is a process involved. I, I see all the time people saying they do Neigong and teaching Neigong, and then when I actually look at what they're doing, it's Qigong. Actually, by that definition, it doesn't have a process involved. It's just that Neigong sounds a bit more exciting these days, a little bit heavier, so people tend to rename things, in my opinion. Um, but, but Qigong is this. It's this, just this tool that doesn't have such a process involved. So um, nothing wrong with it. But if people wish to incorporate Chinese medicine into Qigong and make it a medical practice, that's fine. Um, it's okay, but it's not Qigong proper to me. I think that the same with Tai Chi. Uh, I'm a traditionalist with the way I practice Tai Chi because that's my interest. But at the same time, if people wanted to turn Tai Chi into completely a health art that was based on Chinese medicine principles, that's fine. But you have to understand, if you're doing Chinese medicine, and you're, uh, Tai Chi, and you're talking about the lung channel and the heart channel and the large intestine channel and the spleen channel and the gallbladder channel and blah, 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 essentially you're practicing a fusion. You're practicing a hybrid. It's a fusion of two things. It's like yoga lattes, Tai Chi Kendo. Does that exist? Tai Chi Kendo? Maybe Tai Chi Asai or something. I don't know. These fusions, people... Tango Chi. 
Does that exist? Can I trademark that? That could be cool. Chi walking, that exists, doesn't it? So, but these are fusions of things, right? Fusions of things. So if you have those channels in, there's a fusion. If your bagua has channel systems in, lung, dutch, intestine, gallbladder, bladder, blah, 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 it's a fusion. It's a fusion again. It's not actually how the art was supposed to work in the first place. You have a fusion of Chinese medicine that. If your alchemy practice is using the lung and the large intestine, the spleen, the kidneys to imagine these lights and go back together, um, it's a fusion. It's a fusion. That's not what they were talking about in the first place. Definitely not. Alchemy is my, and meditation are my prime interests. That's where, anyway, my interest lay. Tai Chi is like a hobby, you know, and, but, but alchemy and, and, and meditation are, are key to my life and my interest and my passion and, um, and so on and so on. And they don't use these channels. They don't use the organs in this way and they don't use the mouth. Because I'm not into fusions, ultimately, because I don't believe um, that fusing meditation or alchemy with another art is going to help me get to where I want to get, which is ultimately to understand those arts. I don't think you should necessarily try to understand an art by mixing it with another art. I don't think that's always the wisest choice, especially if, like me, you're too stupid to know which is an improvement and which has made something worse. So a bit of a bit of a rambling one uh, this evening. It's nighttime here. It was light when I started. The window's gone dark. This is um, it's been a bit of a tour of the house the last um, sort of four podcasts. This is another room in my house. This is another training room. Uh, this is the, the bigger training room sort of martial arts one where I teach classes or I did up, to, up until nobody was allowed within six foot of anyone else. Um, so, but I used to teach classes down here of like 20 people or, or something like that, you know, just small ones. Yeah, we're not allowed near each other. I suppose this, this room's not going to be used for a while for that, is it? We're all on quarantine um, because we might all catch COVID or, or I've heard that potentially that it might be so that scanning equipment can tell us apart from each other and all sorts of other conspiratorial stuff. Who knows? I've got no idea. I've, I'm, uh, I'm not in the know. I don't even understand why what flat earth theory is. I don't know. So I've got no idea about any of those things. I'm a simple man who perhaps is the Chinese arts. So I um, hope you uh, get some kind of benefit from this. And always with these podcasts, like they're informal chats. You know, I'm just chatting to these things. If I was giving a lecture for like the academy program that I run or something like that, it's a lot more organized. There's a structure. There's bullet points actually off a screen that I'm following to make sure I stay on topic pretty much. They're vague notes, but they keep me on topic. These podcasts are not like that. They're just informal. They're just chats. They're just ideas. So when I'm doing this is I'm just trying to generate thought from people who are interested. So what you can do is you can take these ideas and think about it yourself. And, and if, if you disagree, that's cool. Like use that to generate some thought processes and like just bounce it around inside your brain. Use me as a foil to generate some ideas. And if you get to the end of those ideas and you go, that guy's right, brilliant. I'm sure. Do that. But if you get to the end of the process and you're like, no, Dave Moe's a dickhead. He's got no idea what he's talking about. That's fine. It's no problem. I'm only here to generate ideas. It's a podcast. It's a chat. It's informal. It's not too structured. So don't get really, really angry and send me hate mail. There's no need. I don't mind getting the hate mail. I actually find it quite funny. I save them because I find it quite entertaining. But at the same time, I feel quite bad for the people sending them because they're really worked up, some of them. And I can almost feel the little vein on the side of the head and palpitations and every time they listen to this podcast and they want to send the hate you are a hateful little turd you're like one one step closer to a coronary so like save yourself the hassle and, and if you're going to get worked up over something get worked over up over something worth getting worked up over like seal clubbing or something bad i don't know what's bad lots of bad things in the world in there not podcasts
Thanks very much.